to man. Another big test for the top two Democratic candidates with more states set to vote. What a difference a week makes. We have got to bring young people into the political process. But can he do it? Senator Bernie Sanders joins me next. And outbreak. More deaths, more cases, and more under quarantine as the coronavirus spreads. Caution is appropriate. Preparedness is appropriate. Panic is not. What should Americans be doing? The U.S. Surgeon General Dr. Jerome Adams joins me to discuss in moments. Plus, contained, President Trump defends his administration's response to the outbreak. The tests are all perfect, like the letter was perfect. The transcription was perfect. As testing lags and cases spike, is the U.S. prepared? Hello, I'm Dick Tapper in Washington, where the state of our union is watching the numbers climb. 19 people have died from the coronavirus in the U.S. and more than 450 in more than 30 states and now Washington, D.C., have been diagnosed with coronavirus. Those numbers are expected to rise as the government rushes more test kits to labs across the country amid persistent questions about how the Trump administration is handling this crisis. The Centers for Disease Control and Prevention is now advising older Americans and those with severe chronic health conditions to stay home as much as possible while schools, sports teams, and the travel industry prepare for major disruptions caused by the spread of the virus overseas. Italy is addressing a rise in their cases by putting part of their country on lockdown, barring almost 16 million people from all public events, including weddings and mass. For more on how America is handling the outbreak, I will speak with America's top doctor, U.S. Surgeon General Jerome Adams, ahead. But let's begin with the 2020 Democratic primaries. Another big test Tuesday night. Six states set to vote on what has become a two-man race between former Vice President Joe Biden and Vermont Senator Bernie Sanders, who is looking to repeat his big upset win in Michigan in 2016 to slow Biden's momentum this time. Joining me now from Grand Rapids, Michigan, is Senator Bernie Sanders. Senator, thanks so much uh, for joining us. Appreciate it. You have acknowledged uh, that while you won California, Utah, uh, Vermont, um, and Colorado. Uh, Colorado. More, yeah, Colorado. More generally, Super Tuesday did not go the way you had hoped. You lost primaries that you won in 2016, such as Maine, Minnesota, Oklahoma, now, you won Michigan in 2016 and identified it as a pivotal state for November. If you don't win Michigan Tuesday, will that signal to you that your efforts to broaden your support are not working? Well, obviously, Michigan is an enormously important state. And I'm very proud that today, Jesse Jackson, uh, who, as you know, is has been one of the great civil rights leaders in our country, who when he ran for president, in 88, actually one here in Michigan, he's going to be with me today and strongly supporting our campaign. And what uh, Reverend Jackson understands is that we have to move aggressively to wipe out all forms of racism in this country. And we need an economic agenda that speaks to the needs of working people, not just the billionaire class. So I think with uh, Reverend Jackson on board, I think we got a real boost in our campaign. We're working as hard as we can because Michigan is very, very significant. Uh, in terms of the primary process, we hope to repeat the victory we had uh, in 2016. You canceled an event in Mississippi uh, where seven in 10 Democratic primary voters are black in order to focus on Michigan instead. Um, this came, of course, after black voters overwhelmingly uh, voted for Biden on Super Tuesday. Um, do you worry about what message that might send to, to voters of color in places no, such no, as look, Mississippi? Everybody, Everybody knows that there are limited amounts of time. We did three rallies yesterday. We were in Chicago, Illinois. 
and Illinois' primary is coming up in a week, where we had 15,000 people out at Grand Park. Uh, we have two rallies today. We did three yesterday. We are working as hard as we can. You have to adjust the schedule at every moment. We look forward to doing as well as we can in Mississippi. It's going to be a tough state for us. But right now, our focus is here in Michigan, uh, where we think we have the agenda that can win this state. And also, with two people in the race, now it's, you know, Vice President Biden and myself, we have the opportunity to contrast our voting records, our vision for the future. And in Michigan, the people here have been devastated, devastated in Flint and Detroit by these disastrous trade agreements that Joe Biden voted for. He voted for NAFTA. He voted for PNTR uh, with China, which forced American workers to compete against desperate people uh, who are making pennies an hour. We lost over 4 million good-paying jobs as a result of those trade agreements, 160,000 jobs here in Michigan alone. I voted and helped lead the opposition to those disastrous trade agreements. I worked with the unions. I knew what they would do. And unfortunately, I was right. Joe voted for the war in Iraq, the worst foreign policy blunder in the modern history of this country. I led the opposition to it. Joe voted for the Wall Street bailout. I led the opposition to that. So I think people have a right to know what our record is and what our vision is for the future. And now that there are two people in the race, we're going to have the opportunity to have that debate. The vice president's response to that is that uh, he helped lead the efforts for the auto bailout, which uh, saved a lot of jobs in Michigan. Well, it wasn't just the vice president. He was vice president. Barack Obama was the president. Members of Congress worked very hard on that bailout as well. But the bottom line here is we have had You know, if you're talking about taking on Trump and defeating Trump, and Joe understands and I understand that we have got to do everything possible to defeat Trump. And I'll support Joe if he wins. He'll support me if I win. Uh, But going into states like Michigan, going into Pennsylvania, going into Wisconsin, key battleground states. These are all states that have been devastated by these terrible trade agreements. And I fear very much, you know, if Joe is the candidate, believe me, Trump will and has already talked about Joe's record on trade. I believe that we are the strongest campaign to defeat Donald Trump, A, because we have a grassroots movement that is unparalleled, B, because we have a voting record that speaks to the needs of working families. I believe that the United States has got to join every other major country on earth, guarantee health care to all people as a human right, help lead the effort on that, help lead the effort to raise the minimum wage to 15 bucks an hour, help lead the effort to demand that at a time of massive income and wealth inequality, the rich and the billionaire class stop paying their fair share of taxes. Senator, are you saying that uh, Joe Biden will lose Michigan and other industrial Midwest states uh, to President Trump if he's the nominee? No, I'm not saying that. And I've been asked that a million times that I believe Joe can beat uh, Trump. And if, if Joe is the candidate, I'll do everything I can to make sure that he does. But I think just looking at the facts, Uh, If you're going into the industrial base of the United States of America, the heartland of America, and you voted for agreements that have devastated communities like Flint, Detroit, uh, it is going to hard to make the case when Trump has made trade such an important part of his agenda. Now, Trump lies all of the time. I mean, he is a pathological liar, he's running a corrupt administration. But it will be hard, I believe, not to say that he can't do it, but it will be hard for Joe to defend a record uh, on trade when it has had such a, a, a negative impact on the Midwest. I want to ask you about the latest in the coronavirus outbreak in the U.S. The CDC says older people and other vulnerable individuals should avoid crowds. Uh, the South by Southwest Festival is canceled. The NBA is talking about potentially having games with no fans. 
you're running for president, so you set a tone uh, as a leader on this. Now, you've promised uh, in terms of your rallies that you won't endanger anyone's health. At what point will it not be worth the risk of having rallies? That's a good question. And all that I can tell you, Jake, is we are in communications with public health officials wherever we go. Uh, yesterday, uh, we had a rally in, in Chicago, Grand Park. We had 15,000 people out. And I love rallies. But your point is well taken. We will not endanger the health of, of uh, anybody in this country. And I think there are many organizations, the NBA being one, uh, theaters all over this country. I mean, this, we are watching this thing very, very carefully. What is most important is the health of the American people. And we are in constant contact. Uh, with public health officials and getting their advice. More personally, sir, let me ask you, the CDC is now saying that older Americans should limit their travel and avoid crowds. You, President Trump, (laughs) Vice President Biden, you're all older Americans. Do you think that all three of you should be limiting your travel and avoiding crowds? Well, in the best of all possible worlds, maybe. But right now we're running as hard as we can. We did three rallies yesterday. We're doing two rallies Today, I've been working really, really hard. Look, this is the most consequential election in the modern history of the United States of America. Trump, in my view, uh, is a president who is a a, a liar, who is uh, running a corrupt administration, uh, who does not understand the Constitution of the United States, who thinks he's above the law. He has to be beaten. And I believe I am the strongest candidate to do that, and I'm going to work as hard as I can to make sure that uh, we win this Democratic nomination and that we defeat Trump. Sir, I have to ask you about something that happened uh, Thursday night at your rally uh, in Phoenix, uh, where an individual unfurled a Nazi flag, a swastika, before being removed by security. I know you didn't see it in the moment, but you saw it uh, later. Um, You could be the first Jewish major party nominee for president uh, in American history. Uh, What was your reaction when you saw that somebody unfurled a swastika at your rally? I tell you, to be honest with you, I was, he was behind me, and I was speaking to the crowd, and I saw crowds booing, and, you know, and I turned around, and I didn't quite see what it was. I learned about it right after I left the stage. Uh, Jake, you know, we have been disrupted by various groups. Some Trump people have gotten excited, and we've gotten rid of them, you know. But the idea that there was a swastika, a symbol of everything that this country stands against, we lost 400,000 people fighting that symbol, fighting Nazism. Six million Jews were killed. Other people were killed. The most devastating war in the history of humanity that you have in the United States of America. Somebody said, who was an anti-Semite was yelling out vulgar things as well. Uh, obviously, it is unspeakable. It is disgusting. It is something that i got to tell you, uh, I never expected in my life uh, as an American to see a swastika at a major political rally. It's horrible. Uh, Your campaign manager and communications director have been tweeting this weekend, uh, pointing out that you have a more rigorous schedule and give longer speeches uh, than your Democratic rival, Joe Biden. Uh, You had three events comparing that to his schedule yesterday. Do you think that Vice President Biden is not up to the task uh, in terms of the rigors of being either the Democratic nominee or being the president? No. No, I, I think what we are talking about is my schedule, which I just mentioned to you. And by the way, we're in Grand Rapids, Michigan. Uh, and later this afternoon, we're going to hold a rally here. And Reverend Jesse Jackson, who, as you know, is one of the great heroes and one of the great leaders of the civil rights movement in this century. 
Uh, Jesse has transformed, the Reverend Jackson has transformed politics in America, has brought black and white and Latinos together, uh, has demanded and, and done an extraordinary job uh, in fighting against racism for his entire career, who understands that we need to have an economy and a government that works for all, black and white and Latinos, and, and not just the very rich. Uh, he will be joining me and supporting our campaign, uh, and we're very uh, excited about that. But look, uh, Joe Biden is a friend of mine, and Joe and I have disagreements on the issue. I do not make personal attacks uh, on Joe. I want to ask you about Senator Warren. She has not endorsed either you or Vice President Biden. You pointed out that, quote, there was no question that her agenda, what she fought for in the campaign, was far closer to what I am fighting for than what Joe Biden believes in, unquote. I, I don't dispute that. That seems to be accurate. Um, but that would seem to suggest that this should be an easy choice for her. Why do you think she has not endorsed you? Well, I'm not going to speculate that. We would love to have uh, Senator Warren's support, and we would love to have the, the uh, millions of people who supported uh, Senator Warren in her campaign on board. Uh, Senator Warren talked about a wealth tax, something that I think is enormously important. We, have, uh, 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 we also have a wealth tax, a nuance different than hers, but the same principle that at a time of massive income and wealth inequality, when three people own more wealth than the bottom half of America— when the very, very rich are becoming phenomenally richer. Yes, we need to demand that they pay their fair share of taxes so we can deal with the homelessness crisis in this country, so that we can improve public education in this country, so that we can guarantee health care to all people as a human right. So mm -hmm. we reach out, we're looking and asking for the support of Senator Warren's supporters and hope they come on board. You know, there are a lot of people in the Democratic Party uh, who are disappointed uh, with the fact that with the most diverse field in the history of the United States. Uh, the nomination is coming down to two white men. Um, and I say that as a white man, so I hope you're not offended. But but um, <laughs> do you think that the... No, I know I'm white. I... You're, you're aware yeah. of it. Okay. So do, I'm sorry. Go ahead. Do you think... Yeah, I'm, I am aware of that, Jake. Do you think that sexism and other forms of bigotry are remain hurdles for candidates uh, appealing for yes. not just the general electorate, but for the Democratic votes? Look, the, answer, the short answer is yes, I do. I think women have uh, obstacles placed in front of them that men do not have. Uh, on the other hand, we have made progress in the last uh, 40, 50 years uh, in terms of the number of women who are now in the Congress. You can remember, it wasn't so many years ago, a few decades ago, the Barbara Mikulski of Maryland was the only woman in the United States Senate. And we have made some progress. But the day has got to come sooner and later that women can see themselves equally represented in Congress, a half or more of members of Congress, president of the United States, leaders of companies all over this country. We're making progress, but it's too slow. And we have got to get rid of all of the vestiges of sexism that exists in this country, which is still pretty rampant. All right, Senator Sanders, thanks so much. Good luck on Tuesday. Appreciate your time. Thank you. How worried should you be about the coronavirus? The nation's top doctor, the U.S. Surgeon General, will join us next. Welcome back to State of the Union. I'm Jake Tapper. Many of the U.S. coronavirus deaths can be traced back to one facility, the Life Care Nursing Center in Kirkland, Washington. And now I am learning some troubling new details about events at the center. A first responder there tells me 
This past Tuesday night into Wednesday morning, only three staff members were serving about 90 residents there. And as of Thursday, neither King County Health nor the CDC had sent personnel to provide assistance, although that has since changed. First responders there also saw those same staff members wearing a kind of mask that the first responders had been told could actually spread particulates through the air. They were also wearing inadequate personal protective equipment, or PPEs, to handle the high number of patients with probable coronavirus at the facility. Now, a spokesman for Life Care Center had no comment on our report, but a representative did tell CNN last night that they have seen patients there go from having no symptoms to having acute symptoms within an hour's time, adding, quote, we cannot make any promise that exposure, further exposure within the facility is not happening, unquote. The U.S. Surgeon General, Dr. Jerome Adams, joins me now to talk about this and much more. Uh, Dr. Adams, thanks so much uh, for joining us. Six weeks into the crisis, a first responder tells me that he sees this with uh, workers at one of the main clusters, understaffed, undertrained, undersupplied. How does that happen? Well, we'll quickly get into that, but I want to first uh, help the American people understand the novel coronavirus, which we're talking about, is a respiratory virus that uh, comes from the family of viruses that cause the common cold, MERS, and SARS. We've successfully handled those in the past, and in most cases, 80% plus, it causes a mild disease. And uh, one of the things we're focused on is helping people know who's at risk and what they can do to protect themselves. Now, you mentioned that care facility. The vice president and a team of folks, including Dr. Redfield, were out there just a few days ago. It's important for the American people to know that this response, and in all states, is led by the states with a consultation from federal partners. And we are constantly in touch with them, making sure they're getting what they need. We have CDC teams now at that facility Mm -hmm. providing care. Uh, The health and safety of the American people is of our utmost importance, our number one priority. Um, Just in the last 48 hours, more than a dozen states and Washington, D.C. reported their first cases of coronavirus. Pennsylvania, Indiana, Minnesota, Oklahoma, Connecticut, Kentucky, Nebraska, South Carolina, Hawaii, Utah, here in Washington, Kansas, Virginia, Missouri, Vermont. The virus is spreading. Absolutely. And we've been saying this all along. Initially, we had a posture of containment so that we could give people time to prepare for where we are right now. Now we're shifting into a mitigation phase, which means that we're helping communities understand you're going to see more cases. Unfortunately, you're going to see more deaths. But that doesn't mean that we should panic. It means that we should take the things that we know work for individuals to protect themselves and make sure everyone is doing those things, like washing your hands frequently, like covering your cough, like staying home if you're sick and not being around people who are sick. But it also means communities need to be thinking about things like, should we be canceling large gatherings? What are our telework policies? Should we be closing schools? And that's going to be different in Seattle than what it's going to be in Jackson, Mississippi. But communities need to have that conversation and prepare for more cases uh, so that we can prevent more deaths. Um, I agree that there shouldn't be panic. Um, But I also think there has been confusing uh, information coming from, not from you, but from other people in power. Uh, Take a listen uh, to two top White House officials uh, in the last few days Uh, saying that the virus has been contained when it has not been contained. This has been contained because the president took action. We don't actually know uh, what the magnitude of the virus is going to be, although, frankly, so far, it looks relatively contained. So that's not true. It's not contained. It's not relatively contained. Have you expressed your uh, desire for people in the White House to 
share the facts and, and, and be honest? Well, this is a novel virus. It's a new situation. And the messaging, quite frankly, is hard. But here's what I want the American people to know. From a public health point of view, and I am a public health expert, uh, the first thing you want to try to do is contain the virus. And some parts of the country have contained it, meaning they're preventing spread into their communities in the first place. But we don't really know that, though, right? Because there aren't enough testing kits. So we don't like, for instance, we know of one case in D.C., That doesn't mean there's only one person with it in D.C. We just don't know. There aren't enough testing kits. Well, uh, what we do know is that if we had massive numbers of cases, we would be seeing more deaths. And so we actually feel pretty good that some parts of the country have contained it, just like when you look at the flu. And when we look at the flu tracker, some parts of the country are having much more uh, severe flu seasons. Some are having a very mild flu seasons. The same thing for coronavirus. So you want to first try to keep it out of your community. Once you know it's in your community, you want to take the steps to prevent spread within the community and to keep those most at risk safe. And a very important point here, we now know more about who is at risk. Average age of death for people from coronavirus is 80. Average age of people who need medical attention is age 60. We want people who are older, people who have medical conditions to take steps to protect themselves including avoiding crowded spaces, including thinking very carefully about whether or not now's the time to get on that cruise ship and whether now's the time to take that long haul flight. For most people, you're going to be fine. But if you have medical conditions or you're older, now's the time to, re- to rethink that. Well, the three people who might be president in January 2021, President Trump, Senator Sanders and Vice President Biden, all of them are in their 70s. All of them there have had various health questions. Should those three stop traveling? Should they stop holding rallies? Well, one of the things we know is that life can't stop. And there was a great article in the New York Times earlier today about the social cost, the social impact of the draconian measures that have been taken in China. If people are going to go out there, we want them to be extra cautious. We want them to wash their hands frequently. And I was with the president on Friday and I just said, sir, when's the last time you've washed your hands? And he said, I washed my hands just a few minutes ago. We want to make sure folks are out there who are at risk. They're taking extra precautions. But speaking of being at risk, Mm -hmm. the president, he sleeps less than I do and he's healthier than what I am. And so that's the other reason that this messaging is hard, because there are 70 year olds who run marathons and are healthier than some 30 year olds. It's really focusing on the comorbidities, on the medical problems, heart disease, lung Mm -hmm. disease, immunocompromised folks, in addition to that combination of older age that seems to put people most at risk. Uh, I want you to take a listen to something President Trump said on Friday when he visited the the CDCs. He was talking about whether or not to bring uh, those infected Americans on a cruise ship off the California coast back into the United States. They would like to have the people come off. I'd rather have the people stay, but I'd go with them. I told them to make the final decision. I would rather, because I like the numbers being where they are, I don't need to have the numbers double because of one ship. That wasn't our fault. I mean, that was a shocking comment. I think a lot of health experts were stunned. Is the president's desire to artificially keep the numbers low by keeping Americans who are off the coast out of the United States, is that desire impacting health decisions to help save these Americans who have coronavirus or who could possibly have it? Well, I don't want to play politics here, but I do want to say I've been in the situation room Every day when the president comes in, he makes it clear that he wants the best advice from his health experts. As far as the cruise ships are concerned, our priorities are, number one, making sure people who are on those cruise ships and who need medical attention can get it. And we've flown people 
off the ships. We've flown CDC teams into the ships to help. Number two, we want to get people off the ships as quickly and as safely as we can. And number three, we want to protect our communities. And that's a delicate balance that requires the cooperation of many different partners, Department of Defense, Coast Guard, Mm -hmm. and others. But again, we want to make sure we're taking care of those people on the ship in a way that protects them, but also protects communities. I understand you don't want to get into politics, but can you assure the American people that decisions are not being made just because the president wants to keep the numbers low as opposed to helping Americans? I mean, that's what he said directly. He He doesn't want to bring them in because the number will double. That's not a medical decision. That's a public relations decision. Well, what I can say to you is based on my experience being on the task force for about a week and a half and being in that situation room every day, that the medical input is taken. Uh, Tony Fauci, uh, Ambassador Burks, Bob Cadillac, myself, Ben Carson, you have multiple doctors in the room and our voices are in no way, shape or form suppressed. As a matter of fact, the vice president usually starts and ends by saying doctors Is there anything that I need to hear that I'm not hearing? Can you tell us how many people have been tested in the United States? Uh, The numbers are tough because they're changing minute by minute. But here's what people should know. It's a rough estimate. Well, but here's what people should know about the testing. They should know that we have 75,000 tests available right now for folks. Um, By early next week, tomorrow, we should have over 2 million tests available. Uh, By the end of the week, through partnerships with private industry, over 4 million tests available. But the most important number to the American people is one. They want to know if I go in, can I get a test? And the one thing that I've heard, I've been to Georgia, I've been to Florida, I've been to Connecticut in the past week, is that no public health doctor who has asked for a test has not been able to get a test. So people should talk to their health care providers. We, we've been telling folks if you and your health care provider talk and your health care provider thinks you need a test, then you will get a test. And we're rapidly ramping up capacity. You can't give me just a yes or no. You can't give me a, a, even a rough number of how many Americans have been tested. You don't know. Uh, I would refer you to the CDC for that, because, again, the numbers change so rapidly. I don't want to give you a number. They took it off the website. How many people have been tested? They removed it from the website. Well, uh, actually, I would direct you to uh, the transcript from the conversation that FDA Commissioner uh, Steve Hahn had yesterday, where he gave very specific numbers. Important thing for the American people to know, again, is talk to your health care provider. If your health care provider thinks you need a test, uh, there's been no indication I've gotten from around the country that folks can't get yeah. it. The FDA commissioner gave a number that was in the 5,000s, but it was how many tests have been given, not how many people have been tested. We're still waiting for a number on that. And expect uh, millions more uh, with the capability to be tested by the end of this week. Millions more, but the capability at the end of this week. All right, doctor, thank you so much. Appreciate your time today. Appreciate thank you. It. Facts over fear, Jake. I agree. I agree. He's gone from underdog to front runner in just over a week. Can former Vice President Joe Biden keep that momentum going at the Super Tuesday, round two? That's next. Stay with us. I am supporting Joe because I believe that he is a man who has lived his life with great dignity. Um, He is a a public servant who has always worked for the best of who we are as a nation, and we need that right now. California Senator Kamala Harris now backing former Vice President Joe Biden for president. Let's discuss. Let me start with you, uh, Alexandra Rojas, because you're with Justice Democrats and you guys have have stayed out of it so far, saying that you liked both Warren and Sanders, but now you have a pick. Yes, that's true. We are endorsing Bernie Sanders for president of the United States. Um, I think that he is the best candidate with the strongest contrast to be able to defeat Donald Trump and is the only one presenting a vision of the future with solutions that match the scale, scope and urgency of the problems we're facing. And I think the fact that he has stood immense amount of pressure to fall in line, to stay quiet, 
uh, to protect the status quo and compromise the lives of working people. He has not throughout his entire time in Congress. And so mm -hmm. we're really proud uh, to continue on, I think, the movement that we started off in 2016 and that uh, he's going to be heading in to defeat Donald Trump. Bakar, you, uh, you had supported uh, Senator Harris. Uh, she's now with Biden. Have you made a pick? <laughs> Have I made a pick? That's interesting. I, I do believe uh, that Kamala Harris's endorsement is, is huge, and I, I do support uh, Joe Biden as well. I don't think that that's too much of a secret uh, and shouldn't be in secret anymore after this morning. I think a lot of people were waiting to see what Kamala Harris was going to do, but her relationship with Elizabeth Warren is something that's very well noted. Um, it's something that... So, so she was waiting until Warren had yeah, dropped out. Of course. I mean, yeah. not only is Elizabeth Warren one of her uh, colleagues, but she went, to, she went to talk to Elizabeth Warren when she was running for United States Senate. She worked with Elizabeth Warren when she was attorney general taking on the banks. And just to put this in perspective for the American people this morning, uh, black women are the reason that Joe Biden has this huge, huge delegate lead and, has, and was able to win 10 out of 14 states on Super Tuesday. Uh, her endorsement helped solidify that. Jesse Jackson supporting uh, Bernie Sanders today. No surprise. No surprise there. And I don't know that that's going to help him. I, I think the Kamala Harris endorsement uh, probably will help him. Uh, she may also be looking at a vice presidential uh, possibility Shh. there. I'm not <laughs> uh, pick his uh, uh, running mate for him. But the fact is, uh, Bernie Sanders, I think, is looking angrier even than he usually is. He's looking a little bit he, like a sore loser after Super Tuesday. Uh, I don't think it's a good look for him. I don't think it's a good look for anybody. And I am going to you know, be watching Michigan very, very closely. See what look, I'll just let me let me come to uh, the unlikely defense of Bernie Sanders here in, in that in, in 2016. Let me just tell you the laundry list of people that supported Donald Trump. Uh, OK, there wasn't any. Right. right. So 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 endorsements. <laughs> so endorsements. Right. Are very nice. But at the end of the day, they really don't mean a ton. What means a ton is, I think, the momentum Right. Winning begets winning in these things, as you know. And so that is much more important. The role, the momentum that he's on. And, and everybody, look, everybody's the just, momentum. Who's on? Biden the Biden's, on. Biden's got, you know, so the momentum. He was an unlikely winner on Super Tuesday. Everybody, everybody pronounced him dead. The media loves this. The narrative that dead now alive. He's, you know, Lazarus. And so that is much more important than anybody's endorsement here. I think that it, it, a big difference. Yeah, no, but, but I think that if 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 Senator Sanders had a performance, you know, a big performance this Super Tuesday, Right. People would say, oh, the, you know, the narrative, there, there are two, narrative two, two, large, there are two large differences. And I think a lot of people are falling into this trap when contrasting what's happening now versus the Republican Party. Democrats actually learned a lot from 2016. So these endorsements mean that the Democratic Party is, is coalescing. Wait, wait, wait. You're running on a second, David, third David, term David, of Obama? David. No, no, no. They're coalescing behind one. He because, means in, in coalescing yeah. against because, the because what happened was Because what happened was, and, and Donald Trump was able to 30% his way to the primary. That ain't happening in this Look, race. I, I think that in terms of being able to learn our lesson, I think we need, definitely need to put things into context. 2000, Al Gore. 2006, John Kerry, 2016, yeah. Hillary Clinton. The uh, I, what I would argue is that Democratic Party <coughs> leaders have not learned their lesson. But with all they you, have no, because, I, I because don't you're think, saying because of they're nominating establishment. Because you're going with the safe choice. I think Joe Biden right now represents what a lot of people <laughs> we in the media see as the safe alternative to but Donald Trump. And I think that we, it's important that right now we draw the strongest possible contrast. And going into places like <laughs> Michigan, this feels very reminiscent of 2016, exactly. where there's a lot of people that voted for Obama twice but stayed at home in 2016. Those are young people, those are union households, people of color. And I think that Bernie Sanders makes a strong case. Well, here. I think actually Joe Biden's going to do very well in Michigan. I think there are a lot of working class 
uh, and union members who are going to vote for Biden. Mm -hmm. And I think that's it is going to be. Everyone stick around. We're going to keep talking about this. President Trump's comments, raising questions about what exactly he's most concerned about with the coronavirus. Stick around. That's next. The tests are all perfect, like the letter was perfect. The transcription was perfect, right? This was not as perfect as that, but pretty good. President Trump saying that the coronavirus tests are as perfect as the transcript of his Ukraine call, which, of course, led to his impeachment. Let's discuss. David, um, there's a lot. I get this one first. I don't get get the answer. There's a lot of misinformation coming from the president. And uh, I I mean, shouldn't he just like stick to the facts? Listen, I think think the Surgeon General does a great job. Dr. Fauci does a great job. The men and women of the public health service, um, they've got this great team. If I was the president, just, you know, let those guys speak. President's trying to be, you know, the calmer in chief here and saying, listen, people, stick to the facts, you know, just wash your hands, do the things. I, I understand you're, you're, you're well, he doesn't you're, stick you're, to the facts. He says things that aren't well, true. Well, he, he should. I, I would encourage the president, just let the folks push those guys out front. You have the certain general here, very capable, very capable uh, public health servant. And, uh, you know, they, they're, they're very smart. I think people need to but calm the, down. The problem is, David, that, you know, you can say that if anybody wants a <clears throat> test, they can get it. But then when people who are sick and coughing and hacking show up and can't get the test, that word gets around. Well, Linda, they just so, so yeah, they just they're just out there. He should, in fact, be calming the American public. I think we have to not overreact. But the worst thing to do if you want to keep people calm is to speak. Speak mistruth. Well, the tests are out there now. Listen, tests are out there now. They're not, not, not enough. enough. We heard, not listen, enough. There's going to be not four enough. million they available can't even this week. Test all the people hey, from the cruise ship. Uh, okay, so they then, so then that's a that's a condemnation then of but not the president, this, but of the public health service, no, this, the CDC. Is, is the, the goal of the, oh, come on. The, the goal the administration <laughs> set was by Friday they were going to have a million test kits, and we have at most been able to account for. 1,800, if that. No, no, and so I think one of the biggest scandals right now is that this is exposing the complete lack scandal. of... Yes, it is. No, there's <laughs> the a, fact listen, that did you, did you watch... Wait, hold on. Just did on. you watch the, the FDA, the one FDA one second, administrator did a press conference yesterday? Hold on, Ms. McCargo. This is, this, is, this is a public health crisis that Wait. we're in. So this doesn't need Republican talking points Absolutely. or anyone else. Because all of us have elderly grandparents that we're worried yes. about. I have an immunosuppressed daughter that it's, it's death is paralyzingly afraid. Should we travel? Should we not travel? Should we take her out? What should we do? And I'm just tired of the political BS. I wish that we had General Adams out there being at the forefront more often because he's more reassuring because I know he's not running for reelection. But what I don't want is when I'm trying to prepare for what I'm going to do with my daughter, I don't want the president of the United right. States yeah. lying and, and so what did, the, what, what, did what did General Adam just he say? He said it's spreading. And, but no, what did he say about the testing kits? But that's the problem. No, no, hold on, hold on. They're hold trying on, to get testing kits out uh, the and how many, how many are going to be out this I week? I think he said something four, like four million. million. Yeah. So not something like four million. Four million will yeah, be available they, this no, week. But they told us there were going to be a million on Friday. Who's they? Who's they, Linda? The Trump administration. And where are they getting the information? From the FDA and the CDC. these questions, let me just pose a question to you and the rest of the American public. When we have this explosion in the number of positive cases this week, who's going to be the reassurer then? Because you know what's going to happen with more testing? We're going to have more Absolutely. positive Absolutely. There's going to be tons of people. The number of people who are going to be diagnosed with coronavirus sure. is going to explode. It's going to, cause, it's going to cause chaos. It's going to cause pandemonium. And we don't have well, any... We don't have any it, sh- it shouldn't, though. We should, we, right. should, we should caution that. It, we shouldn't, Alexander. Yeah, I was just going to say, you know, these are two... This is an unenforced error by the president's part. Like, yeah. he is contradicting the very health officials that are supposed to be at the forum. And I mean, when Italy is literally shutting down northern Italy, 16 million, a quarter of their population, 
population to deal with this pandemic and the United States is not able to account for the number of tests that we have in the field, the contrast is stark. And so it makes sense that the American public is very, very concerned with the way that this administration is handling it. The one good thing when we have more people tested and more people show up is that the fatality rate is probably going to go down. Because I think one of the reasons you're seeing that 2% is the denominator right. that we're using right. is is a because false we denominator. do know that it's less than is, is less than one percent of people who pass away from the flu. So hopefully you're right about that. Everyone stay healthy. Good to see you. Thank you. Wash your hands. Want to wash your hands. Everybody stay wash calm. your hands. Coming up, House President Trump's take on coronavirus and how does it stack up against the facts? That's next. As the United States confronts the coronavirus crisis, President Trump continues to demonstrate he is not someone who can be relied upon for factual information. While irrational panic is to be avoided, the facts need to be clear and the public needs to be informed. The president said this on February 26 about coronavirus cases. Uh, We're going down, not up. We're going very substantially down, not up. That's not true. Cases have gone up. The virus is spreading. And just as false, this week, two White House officials publicly claimed the coronavirus has been contained. The coronavirus has not been contained. The number of states and counties affected continue to rise, as does the number of confirmed cases. And sadly, deaths. President Trump keeps suggesting that a vaccine could be ready in a matter of months. This despite the nation's top infectious disease expert and multiple pharmaceutical CEOs cautioning that it will be longer than that. It will be months before a vaccine will even be ready for testing and a year to 18 months before it is deployable. It is a seemingly never-ending cascade of lies. The president made this claim on Friday. They have the tests, and the tests are beautiful. Anybody that needs a test gets a test. That's not true. It's false and directly contradicted by Vice President Pence, who is leading the coronavirus response. We don't have enough tests today uh, to meet uh, what we anticipate will be the demand going forward. At a time like this, when the public needs accurate information so it can avoid panic and pursue caution, being able to believe what our leaders tell us is vital. But President Trump keeps diminishing the severity of this situation. What's driving it? Well, here's what President Trump said on Friday about keeping sick Americans on board a cruise ship off the coast of California. I would rather, because I like the numbers being where they are, I don't need to have the numbers double because of one ship. That wasn't our fault. He likes the numbers where they are, even if that were to mean artificially keeping them lower by keeping sick Americans off the coast. The president's number one job is to protect American lives, not to keep the numbers where they are. At the CDC Friday, the president spoke of having a natural ability for science and medicine, except doctors swear by the Hippocratic Oath, first do no harm. And all of these lies are doing harm. Fareed Zakaria sits down with Hillary Clinton next. Now streaming exclusively on Max, a new CNN flash talk about the album that has Nashville talking, Call Me Country. 
Beyonce and Nashville's Renaissance. Watch it at max.com slash callmecountry. Max subscription required.